Welcome to K-Drama School. I'm your host, Grace Jung, and class is now in session. The show I'm going to be talking about today is called Miss Korea. It is a it is a NBC drama that came out in the year 2013. It stars Yi Seonggyun, and all of you know Yi Seonggyun. He was the rich dad in that film Parasite. Uh, he's also one of the main protagonists of that amazing Korean drama My Mister, which is on Netflix in North America, or at least in the United States. And it also stars. It actually stars. Um, an actress who I am not too familiar with. Her name is Yi Yeonhee, and she plays the young female protagonist uh, who is living as, I, I don't know how to, they, they call it elevator girl, but back in the day in Korea, they used to have women who would just literally stand in an elevator and push buttons like all day. Um, the equivalent of that, like they had similar, like kind of service. It's not even a service. It's like, it's like the super superfluous, unnecessary job, really. But like, I remember when I was in Korea, I think in the year two thousand or no, it wasn't the year two thousand. I think in year two thousand five. I think it was two thousand five. There were these women who were dressed in uniform, and they would stand in the parking lot of a supermarket, and all they did was bow. Like they were greeters. They would bow whenever somebody entered the parking lot and they would bow again whenever somebody would leave the parking lot. And all I thought about at the time was just like, oh my God, these women are inhaling so much car exhaust. Like all of them probably have lung cancer. This is such a dangerous job. That's what I remember thinking. This show was written by Seo Sukyang, who I, I am not too familiar with, but she wrote... Uh, Another Korean drama that's very well known called Pasta. I would say that's probably the one show that she's the most well known for. It's called Pasta. She also did a a really weird. <laughs> she did a couple of weird other dramas. Another is called Chutue um, Hwasin or Don't Dare to Dream. In both Pasta and Don't Dare to Dream, Kong Hyojin is the star. Um, I so I think this writer has a thing for Kong Hyojin. I think she has a thing for Yi Sun Gyun because Yi Sun Gyun is also in Pasta. I also think she has a thing for the actress Yi Mi-suk. Yi Mi-suk plays Ma-eri in Miss Korea, and she plays the owner of Queen Beauty Salon. She's also a former Miss Korea winner, pageant winner. And Yi Mi-suk is like such a badass actress. Um, she, she was born in the year 1960, so she is currently in her 60s. But she was just like, in everything back in the day like she um i think she's probably most well known for whale hunting which is um a film that came out in the 1980s if you guys are a fan of the korean filmmaker Yi Jae-yong then you've probably seen her in An Affair which she stars in alongside that fucking hottie um shit what's his face oh Yi Jung-jae yeah Yi Jung-jae is is a really hot actor. Um, 
Jesus Christ. She was also in Untold Scandal. She was in Actresses. Actresses is a really excellent film. If you guys want to get sort of like the inside peek on what Korean actresses go through and like, you know, what what their politics are like amongst themselves and with the industry. I mean, that's a really interesting one. A lot of the dialogue was improvised between these actresses. Um Cheju is in it. <laughs> uh, Yoon Yeo-jung is also in it. It's a really great film. So check it out if you haven't seen it. But um, I love Miss Korea. Miss Korea was recommended to me by um, a comedian friend of mine. He's out here in LA. His name's Aiden Park. Um, you've probably seen him in like a Coca-Cola commercial. I know he's also done some other television work. But Aiden recommended it to me because Aiden's mom used to be a Miss Korea contestant back in the day. Aiden's mom also was an actress back in the day, which is really, really fascinating. So she probably knows um, Lee They probably rubbed shoulders at one point. It's probably about the same age. Um, but Miss Korea is set in the year 1997. That's the year when uh, Korea's IMF crisis hit. IMF crisis is... Um, what it's talking about is Asia's bankruptcy. So South Korea declared bankruptcy. A bunch of other nations in Asia declared bankruptcy. And it was just like this horrible period. Like um, a bunch of other businesses went bankrupt. Of course, there were huge layoffs. Uh, this is actually considered one of these points in Korean history where a great deal of emasculation took place. There was a, a skyrocket of suicide rates at this time. A lot of fathers or breadwinners were feeling like dejected and lost. And um, if you guys haven't seen that film Peppermint Candy, it's worth checking out. <laughs> uh, it's it's very depressing. It's by Yi Chang-dong, but Peppermint Candy kind of um, examines this masculinity crisis that took place because of the IMF crisis. Um, but not not just the IMF crisis. I mean, there were other factors, of course, right? Like the Korean government attacking their own people, um, especially student protesters, demonstrators who are fighting for democracy. Um, there's like a whole slew. It's like a really excellent film that goes through um, the Korean male psyche and its um, burdens and it's suffering. So uh, it's a great film for that. So check it out if you haven't seen Peppermint Candy. But Miss Korea very um, specifically homes in in the late 1990s in South Korea and with these kinds of precarious female laborers, right? Like the elevator girl. Um, and with these elevator women who are working at the mall, um, it kind of shows like the unfairness of that job um, how the manager exploits women. I mean, he's very abusive, right? So it shows the problems of patriarchy, especially in a corporate setting. And um, it's also got a lot of heart and it has a lot of this sort of like real female struggle, you know, like the working class woman struggle. Um, there was also like quite a bit of queer in this film, I mean, in this show. For instance, um, the main protagonist, uh, Woo Ji-young, played by Yi Eun-hee, she, um, she is the only daughter in her household. So she lives with her father, her grandfather, and her older brother. So it's like a family of four, but like it's all men. And they run their little like supermarket, local 
not even supermarket, local convenience store. And she is the one that goes out to work and bring home the bread, right? So they're all relying on her, but she doesn't have a mother. Her mother died when she was young. So what she does is she calls her dad, Amma, which means mom. And the dad, like, you know, kind of emulates a mother you know he wears an apron um the way he talks to her is always like soft-spoken and like gentle and you know he's very emotional right like so the queering of the father character um sort of having this fluid gender role and even being called mom was so like interesting and progressive and weird and fascinating i, I actually love that part um Woo-ji-young is a very uh, lovable, likable character. Uh, I think that's the reason why I was so attentive to this drama. Um, it also shows sort of the the false promises of capitalism, right? Like for instance, Kim Hyung-jun, who is played by Lee Sun-gyun, right? He goes to college, he goes to Seoul National University, which is like the Harvard of Korea. It's like one of the best ones. And he goes there feeling all high and mighty. And Woo Ji-young, she just like never gave a shit about her studies through high school, right? Like she just was the hot girl in the town and everybody just adored her for being beautiful and she thought she could live her life that way so she never studied but um kim hyung-jun did study a lot he goes to seoul national and then he and his girlfriend woo ji-young just stop talking to each other and uh he has this sort of arrogance about this like ivory tower experience but of course, the false promise of capitalism is that your education is not necessarily going to equate um, an excellent investment, right? Like in his case, he went to a great school, but he come, he graduates and there's nothing. I mean, like he's like being chased by loan sharks. His business keeps failing. And ultimately, you know what? Like Woo Ji-young is the one that rescues him. I mean, she she like resorts to the Miss Korea experience as a last resort, as a final resort, because she lost her job at the mall as the elevator girl. She became she, you know, says yes when Kim Hyung-jun approaches her and asks, do you want to be the Miss Korea pageant? Kim Hyung-jun um, has a skincare line. So this is when like BB creams were starting to become a thing. So it was they were being developed in the late 1990s. By the year 2000, when I went to Korea for the first time in 13 years, BB creams were just like mainstream. Like all the Korean women were wearing BB creams at the time. By that year also lip glosses were in, right? So like this was sort of this transition phase out of foundation and heavy based makeup with like thick lip liner and dark lipstick they were phasing that out and they were entering sort of like the dewy look with like lip glosses and bb creams more of a natural sort of appearance um but yeah kim hyungjun is like a really pathetic guy you know like he thinks he's the shit but he's a nobody turns out and um, Woo Ji-young just has a lot riding on her, right? Like this Miss Korea pageant is huge and uh, she ultimately makes it and she pays off his debt, pays off her family's debt and she continues with her pageant life. Um, I loved Yi mi in this drama. She was just phenomenal, all right? So Yi mi plays the the queen beauty salon um, head honcho, Maeri, and like the way that she philosophizes the Miss Korea pageant and the way she philosophizes hairstyles, the way she philosophizes um, bodybuilding and training and dieting and all of this, right? Like, of course, on the one hand, you have that layer of 
misogyny motivated by the male gaze, right? Like Miss Korea pageantry, any kind of pageantry is for the most part catered to that patriarchal male gaze. Yes, we have that. But this sort of uh, industry is really to help out a lot of young women who need a way out, right? Like they've tried everything. None of the none of the jobs are working out, right? So it's really a critique of this capitalist Korean patriarchal society. Like the people who were the first to fired were women back when the IMF crisis hit, all right? So all these white collar female workers were laid off or fired, right? They were the first ones to go. And as a result, um, they all had to seek jobs elsewhere in retail or these pink collar jobs. And Miss Korea happened to be another outlet. In the present day, you have a lot of that outlet in the K-pop industry, right? So you have a lot of young, young Koreans who are really fighting tooth and nail in order to make it in the K-pop industry because it, it offers the promises of riches um, in a highly competitive society where basically every single Korean is like educated. The majority of the population are college educated. Uh, the majority of them are literate, meaning they can all read. The majority of them have internet access at home. So there's really like, you know, from this neoliberal standpoint, there's no excuse why nobody should be able to get a job in a white collar setting. But the reality is, you know, capitalism has a lot of flaws, right? Uh, competition isn't necessarily the answer to everything. Um, in fact, it's highly inhumane and very dehumanizing, right? Whenever there's somebody at the top, there's always going to be people at the bottom, right? Whenever there's a winner, there's going to be a loser. So it's not a fair system. And that's part of the reason why there's such a high suicide rate. That's part of the reason why everybody's so overworked. It's part of the reason why South Koreans are highly um, in a state of discontent with their society and their government. Uh, so seeking out these artistic industries in order to make it does become the fallback. And Miss Korea, I would say, was one of those categories. It's an excellent show. I really strongly recommend it if you haven't seen it. Um, I love it. I really, really love this show. And it's on Vicky. And I don't know whatever happened to Yeonhee. I just really haven't seen her in a lot. I mean, um, I guess she was in Phantom in 2012, the year before that. I it, that stars switches up, I think. Yeah, I couldn't get into that show. It was weird. <laughs> Today's guest is Van Jasmine. He is an amazing artist. All right. He's an amazing visual artist. He's worked with some huge big name musical artists, including Skrillex, including Riff Raff. He's toured with them. He's multi-talented. He's also a clown. I mean, like I've seen him do some clowning. Like he and I made a film like a short film i made a profile documentary film about him and his clown philosophizing and i thought that was so interesting and i just i love i love van he is like one of these pure artists you know pure artist types and i love people like that you know because they're just so genuine they're so giving they're so present and they're highly creative like they're my favorite kinds of people um and i just had really a wonderful wonderful time talking to him so let's talk to van jasmine doing sound check sound check sound check one two czechoslovakia czechoslovakia prague 
How do I sound? You sound really great. Awesome. You sound perfect. Excellent. I think you? I need to hold it. I'm good. Yeah. I was a little worried about my microphone because I bought it at 7-Eleven. <laughs> 7-Eleven makes good mics. That's what I heard. That's what I read. <laughs> good old Slim Lem. You know, the 7-Elevens in Korea are really nice. Like, they sell really dope stuff. Have you been to Korea? No. They sell, like, like, like little, like, lunch boxes, and they sell, like, packaged foods that are, like, not shitty, you know? Like, they sell, like, decent stuff at, at Korean 7-Elevens. Also, the 7-Elevens in Japan. Like, they sell really nice shit. Yeah. Oh, is it like Daiso? It's like a Daiso. It's like a 7-Eleven Daiso. It's like a convenience store Daiso. Yeah. It's not like the uh, American ones where you're walking into like a portal to hell. <laughs> no, it's it like the like saddest dogs. place on earth. Yeah. Like particularly LA 7-Elevens. They're just so, they're such a bummer. <laughs> Truly, that's an understatement. <laughs> Yeah, Bummer they make town. me want to die. Yeah, <laughs> like I go to a Seven Eleven. I'm like, I want to die today. <laughs> Can I please have a death? No <laughs> condiments, just death. <laughs> yeah, just yes. forget the ketchup. Just give me death right now. And they like, don't you take... know what you're saying because they can't understand a word you say. So they're like, they're put like, it what? in the bag. In the bag? No. In the bag. All right, I put it in the bag. <laughs> no bag. Huh? Just death. <laughs> All right, Marlboro Lights. Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> You got your clown nose on? Do you yeah, have a clown you... name or an idea? Not yet. Uh-huh. Still working on it. Yeah. I thought of the name Meepo, but it kind of sounds like Meatball. That's somebody else. <laughs> so I had to go back to the drawing board for that. Meepo's cute, though. Meepo. Yeah. Hey, which nose do you like better? You like this one? This one. <laughs> both awesome um huh. you know this the second one is it reminds me more of like you and your style like it's got more character because like i saw your film right uh was it hollywood home movie Ho hollywood home video right yes and uh it's got that sort of it's right here <laughs> I love, I love your film. Thank and, you. oh my God, I love that laurel too with the weed, the weed oh, fucking look, look, look laurel. Look at that. That's yeah, the weed laurel. Amazing. That's astounding. And I love that it's in a VHS cassette. It's so beautiful. Oh my God. And it looks like a, a home video. It's got the, the stickers. Yes. And everything. Well, this one oh, has one sticker. Oh, it's so good. Oh my God. It's so amazing. Um, and you, you were filming that for a long time, right? You were shooting that for a long time? Yeah. I shot it for about four years before I finished and like edited it. And like, did you know what, what it was that you were doing? Like, no, did you know? Not at first. Yeah. Mm -hmm. At first I was just shooting whatever I wanted to and just yeah. carrying my camera around a lot, like compulsively. Yeah. yeah. And that. I, it went with me everywhere, so I naturally yeah. was recording some weird shit because I was doing weird shit at the time yeah. with weird people. Yeah, yeah. 
eventually I was just looking at all this footage I had. I'm like, I've got to do something with this. It's yeah. too good. It's too much. It's, like, <laughs> it's too much and it's too good. Like, <laughs> yeah, the characters. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, and that's really a testament, like, to you as an artist, too. Like, you're very adventurous. You know, you're very bold. Like, you, you wind up in spaces that are, that could be intimidating to a lot of people. But you're just there and you're present. You're with them. And... And they're present with you. It's just so interesting. Yeah. I learned that from, uh, I have a mentor who is a filmmaker and um, yeah. a documentary Anybody photographer. Um, <laughs> I just blanked on his name. I can't believe it. It'll come back to me. <laughs> we haven't talked in a, quite a while. Uh, but past okay. mentor. So yeah. Yeah. Who... Well, I do remember, even though I don't remember his name, I remember that he taught me when he works with subjects, he works with very dangerous subjects, like people who are like ex-murderers and like mm -hmm. gang members and stuff like that. Yeah. His number one thing was, okay, don't let them into your home. <laughs> and then also like learn how to be with them rather than like treating them like outsiders, okay. like sort of put yourself in their world mm -hmm. and That's good to... Advice instead of just like treating them like they're the subjects of an anthropomorphic or um, <laughs> anthropomorphic, a, um, yeah. like a, an animal documentary or something. Yeah. Like don't treat them like animals, treat them like, like try to make friends. And, yeah. and through making friends, you're going to get more of a authentic view of these people and, and earn their trust rather than just, you know, really maintaining that, that boundary. Yeah. But don't, don't let them into your home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, there were like a couple people that stood out to me that terrified me. Like that one guy who, like, I guess he's a drug dealer and he was literally saying like, like, there are like when these rich people moved in, like I, I marked like who I'm gonna like burn out or like, I don't, I forget the word that he used, but he was basically saying like, like, I'm gonna get them addicted to drugs and fuck them up. Do you remember this guy? No. Whoa. He's in your movie, man. He's in your movie. <laughs> oh, wait a second. Okay. <laughs> Goodness gracious. It's the clown nose, I think. I think yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I Yeah, you're I blanking on things. Thing. It's like the oh, MIB thing. It's like taking away your memories. Yeah. Goodness gracious. But yeah, you don't remember this guy? Can you describe him again? He was like kind of towards the tail end of the film. And he was basically like very cheerfully and like in a like a hilarious sort of way, like or, or he found it hilarious. Like he was like very like amped up and jovial about it. He was like, yeah, like this rich fuck moved in here and here and here. We were all just like in agreement. Like we're gonna we're gonna burn out all three of these guys. Like we're gonna get them addicted to drugs. You remember this guy? Yeah, he was like plotting on on who they were gonna burn and lend uh, yeah. in Hollywood. That was the Trapzillas, actually. The Trapzillas. Trap that's a thing. What? Yeah. What is that? He's a he's a trap lord named Trapzillas who also makes music and. <laughs> So he makes he, trap music as well? Yeah. <laughs> okay. He had like the most expensive weed at one moment for like a while, like like on the market. When it was illegal? At one point. Yeah. Got it. Wow. 
Oh, that's fascinating. Oh, right. And you were kind of filming this in real time as weed was becoming recreationally legal, too. Yeah, that's a big part of this moment, too, is because yeah. what we were doing was like actually illegal at the time. Like the making time. dabs and making making mm -hmm. hash wasn't wasn't yes. fully legal. Yeah. Um, and I think since I technically finished the movie in 2020, and no one has to know when it was shot exactly because it's all shot different years. Yep. It's like on that precipice. Yeah. Of, of legality there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I love the opening shot too when uh, you you were like talking to the dogs, and then you say good boys, and then you turn the camera to couple of dudes and you call them good boys i was like oh, that's such a comics moment like you know that's such a comedic clown-like thing to do i feel like thank you right i it's all like improvised stuff and but that moment is also inspired by some of my parents home videos uh, that sort of farm vibe uh-huh where there's someone speaking from behind the camera and yeah. that's like my mom on, on her home videos. So I definitely took a lot of inspiration from her. Yeah, yeah. Where are you from originally again? I was born in Pennsylvania. I actually grew up in a really radioactive town there called Cannonsburg. Oh, wow. And there's like a huge dump of radioactive waste because that's where they had radium mines. Oh and Mary Curie actually bought radium from that town. Which eventually Ooh. killed her. Yes. Wow. So it's just there under the ground, like five miles away from where I grew up. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, we moved for unrelated reasons to that, <laughs> to Florida, where I went to school and went to college at Ringling College. Oh, wow. Yeah. Fascinating. What'd you study? I'm, I studied art and, and business. Art and business. Yes, and the business of art. Those things go together very well, historically, art and business. <laughs> yeah, like I could have been a curator for Sotheby's or something boring like that. <laughs> you could have. And thank God you didn't. I, know. I mean, could you imagine yourself doing that today? The, the tie or being an auctioneer or something like that. It just seems so square. And I really can't picture myself in those positions. And bullshitting people all the time. And putting a price tag on what is essentially valueless which is dealing with rich people uh -huh. a lot uh-huh collect i had enough of a taste of that i ran a gallery for a while really in, in florida oh wow oh wow wow yeah yeah now it's all coming together it's like mm. pennsylvania radioactive town florida and then he's in la filming these terrifying people okay yeah it all makes sense like let me let me tell you let me read you one like uh feedback a friend of mine wrote to me because like i loved your film so much that i sent it to um she's my co-director she and i are working on another film right now and she wrote that hollywood home video is a crazy piece of work but i enjoyed it very much again living completely different lives but sharing the same feelings and awakenings but yes there were parts that were scary like that knife popping balloons and cult-like gatherings and funny bits like that girl talking about her blue eyeshadow i couldn't stop laughing at that part lol yes. 
that makes me so happy because it's like there's little things that I find very funny and I laugh yeah every time I watch it and I hope other yeah people find it funny that, see that's the thing though like that's for you you know that's for you and then it's like you know it's your little secret but if somebody else gets it it's like you and that person are connected you know Yes. you're bound such I a love good that feeling about art. yeah i love that about art too i really love that and then i'll tell you um another feedback so it's a, a friend of mine do you know Kristen lundberg Um, don't think so. So you'll meet her eventually because she's Sean's friend and, you know, like she and I are like friends like that. <laughs> um, but I sent it to her because I love Kristen and Kristen and I are actually going to film something on Saturday with Sean. So that's interesting. Cool. Yeah, it's really it's really interesting that I sent it to these two people that I'm collaborating on films with. Uh, your film so okay she wrote that was awesome so fun to watch all that old school 2016 footage some of the drug and ritual footage was out of control i died when dude was lighting sage then set the smoke alarm off lol good stuff man Yay. <laughs> and i love that like two of my friends found something so specific so funny and it's not at all like it's totally different You know, they're very, very different things. I love that. Oh, like, like, what was so funny about the blue eyeshadow girl? Like, what was so funny about the smoke alarm thing? You know, but it's like they found it hysterically funny. I, I love that so much. Oh, Grace, thank you for showing my film to people. Of course, like I, whenever I encounter something good, I like I got to share it. I got to I got to let them know, you know, but like not in like an annoying way, because then that seems insincere, like. in a meaningful way, like to the specific people who I'm like, they'll, they'll get this, like, they'll appreciate this, you know? And I'm like, you gotta see this. Like, I thought of you when I was watching this, you know, like, that's the way to share it. Right. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So you didn't have any training in film per se. Not necessarily. I did work on a film right out of college Yeah. where I was like so fresh out of college working with people who I went to school with. So Yeah. Yeah. I, I produced a, a short film and it Uh-huh. was about t teenagers doing Oxycontin. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Yeah, that film was weird because I didn't find out till later that the leads actually were doing Oxycontin <laughs> and actually were high. And I didn't know. I thought it was all fake. The director did a great job at keeping that under wraps. Wow. Oh my God. Okay. So there are some like legally sensitive issues there, but Yes. bold. There's boldness. So, okay. So did the director get what he wanted from going that route? Oh yeah, I think he did. And, um, <laughs> I, it's the thing about casting, he casted people who are kind of non-actors. okay. Yes. And that I understand from a certain perspective, because Yeah. you're looking for authenticity in one area, but the, the delivery of the lines is not going to be as good as if it was with an actor. Mm-hmm. But all the scenes where they're, where they're strung out and fucked up are just so real looking that it's, it makes up for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> because they they were real. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen uh Sean Baker's films? I don't think so. He did Tangerine. Oh, Tangerine. I love Tangerine. Yeah, yeah. I was so That impressed. Sean Baker style.
Like that's Sean Baker style. He'll yeah. he'll hire non-actors essentially. Like real people from that environment and then work with them. I admire that so much. It must Me be too. so hard to do, but it's so worth it. It's so worth it. But like making any movie is so challenging, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fuck yeah. I, I, I noticed that you donated to my film and I was so moved by it. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And that's something I, I noticed, like, and I was really um, humbled by, but also, like, part of me was, like, enraged at the system because I noticed that, like, everybody, the most, the majority of the people who donated are, like, grad students and, like, comedians and artists. Like, essentially, the poorest of the poor. <laughs> The people that... Isn't that how it goes? It is, and yet it's still heartbreaking. It's still heartbreaking. I don't know. I, only I guess... they can... Yeah. yeah, only they can understand the shoes you're in, though. Yeah, yeah. that's a really crappy situation. And, yeah. And, but I think you're, it's going to pull through, and I can't wait to, to see it with the sound and everything finished. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thank you. Yeah, I started uh, submitting to festivals as of yesterday. So, um, but you submitted yeah. your film to a festival in Berlin. Like, which festival was that? It was the Berlin Underground Film Festival. Oh, nice, nice. Did you get to go? No, I wish because of COVID. Oh, right, twenty twenty. Yeah. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. sort of a crapshoot for film festivals in general because this is basically what happened got accepted into some film festivals. They yeah. didn't have an event. There was no screening. Oh. All you get is the laurels. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which was convenient, I guess, at the time. But yeah. it would have been great to actually go see it screened. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a atmosphere, right? Like, you know, seeing your film on the big screen with strangers who paid to go and see it. And then, like meeting other filmmakers and talking about their film and their production experience and sharing war stories essentially. And then the whole, like that whole thing, it's such an experience and yeah, it's, it's, it's sad that it didn't have that, but, but fuck like Berlin is like the perfect place for your movie too. Yeah. Have you, have you ever been to Berlin? Not yet, but you plan to. Yeah, the Norwegian actress who's in Hollywood Home Video, uh-huh, uh-huh. she lives there now, and she oh, invites shit. me out, and I, I send her a tape, and she's like, come to Berlin. Gotta go. I can hook you up. Gotta go. It's, it's eventual. It is, yeah. It is such an awesome, awesome city. Like, I've been going, like, since 2018, and every time I go, it's like, I'm so happy there because and there's so many artists who live there because like housing's affordable food is affordable like people can just live off of their artwork <laughs> in an awesome city and it's like what like how is this real you know like we as americans are so gaslit by our society that we just always feel this pressure or burden or insecurity like we need to always have a backup plan at all times but in Berlin, like comedians just they're just comedians and they could get by, you know, wow. if they hustle. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no TV credits, no nothing. They just hustle by and they do it. They can make it work. Um, I met a sculptor who's just a sculptor, you know, like 
filmmakers who are just filmmakers like it's so beautiful it's so beautiful and because berlin is not a it, it lacks capital like it's not like new york and la they don't have a lot of money nobody's competitive you know everybody's like chill and real they're human they look at you like you're a human being and you spend the day with them you know not everybody's overworking because they're not trying to like hustle and like make it and like make a shit ton of money to buy that penthouse apartment in, in midtown or you know in beverly hills like nobody gives a shit so like 2 p.m tuesday they'll go to the park and sit by the river and just like talk all afternoon drink a beer smoke a joint just like talk about music talk about their lives whatever it's so nice i think you'll have an awesome time there yeah yeah i can't wait for you to go to berlin <laughs> sounds like heaven it's heaven it's heaven it's heaven but it's like you know it's like um it's like a dream it's like a daydream i would say it's like a really nice dream you know but then like when i was there i i hit this ceiling where i was like i i got to the point that i feel like i could get to here in berlin but i'm more ambitious than berlin you know, like if you want to make it in Berlin, you have to speak German fluently. You know, you have to be German. You have to, you know, there's a whole nother thing there. And it's like, as an English speaker, there's, you can only go so far. So I was like, I mean, ultimately when it comes to comedy though, since I'm a comic, like America is the Mecca for comedy. I mean, New York and LA are the Meccas of comedy. So industry's here, man. That's what you got to do. But you briefly worked in the industry, didn't you? Like music industry? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about that. Like, didn't you work with like Skrillex and shit? Like I read your, um, that, what is it? That, that voyage, is it voyage LA? Yeah. Yeah. I read that piece that you, that they interviewed with. Yeah. So can you talk about the music experience a little bit? Sure. Um, after I lived in Florida, I was just like desperate to experience something different. Yeah. And I was really attracted to this rapper called Riff Raff. Because uh -huh. he was so colorful and he represented everything like exotic to me that yeah. we did not have in huh. Florida. Like what? Like just he could walk around looking weird as he wanted. Uh -huh. and Without feeling insecure or self-conscious? Yeah. And he was just doing it. Like he was doing his career. Like he was just yeah. flaunting it. And yeah. I mean – there are a lot of really notable artists in Florida, of course, like Miami is a good example. Yeah. But I was living in the backcountry kind of area. <laughs> the and... boonies. Yeah. yeah. So the toxic wasteland said... of Florida. Yes. Uh -huh. The undeveloped areas. It's a very uh, Confederate flag kind of country. Okay. And that said, you could either be like a square or be like a hick, and uh -huh. there wasn't much in between Got it. there. That said, I went out to California to specifically to work with Riff Raff. Yeah. And through a series of strange events, I did get to meet him. Uh-huh. I did end up moving like five minutes away from where he lived. Yeah. And we ended up working together where I built his website and his clothing line yeah. from scratch. Mm -hmm. And he knows everybody. So that sort of jettisoned me into meeting all of these other people in EDM and in hip hop. Mm. And soon enough, once I moved actually to LA proper, mm -hmm. I was going out like, multiple times a night to all these different events. Um, they were like the seedling events of some very famous parties now. Mm. 
like space yacht and mm. brownies and lemonade wow and events like that yeah and so i was there very early on and and going to these parties for free and just like meeting everyone yeah um it's really a great time yeah and I, I documented all of that in my sketchbooks at the time yeah and concurrently i was making a living from doing freelance like logos for mm -hmm. djs ah yeah yeah and so naturally like skrillex had a bunch of small events uh -huh. like where there was not very many people invited like there was like these little things yeah one time he like took us all to notch's mansion that guy who like created minecraft <laughs> wow we had like wow. three suburbans full of people and like brought us there to like yeah. hang out uh-huh stuff like that like uh -huh. and um what we actually worked on was it was like a poster for the full flex express tour uh-huh which i was obsessed with because it was based on like if you ever seen the movie festival express mm -mm. it's about it's a documentary about when janice joplin Jimi hendrix the grateful dead and a bunch wow. of these people went on tour on a train through canada all of them together yeah Oh my gosh. Okay. It's cool. And oh, so wow. what they were replicating, were replicating that with all these EDM people uh -huh. and going on the same route through Canada yeah. um, as a tour. And I was just obsessed with that. So yeah, he basically Skrillex told me like, yeah, I want you on this train. I want you to come on this tour with me. Yeah. And then when it came down to it, like there was logistical issues mm. and I was like, I was so close, and this has happened to me before, and now I understand why. Sure. V visas to go to Canada are really complicated, I guess. Oh. For, for um, working m music people. Fuck. Like they just didn't want to pay for it, basically. <laughs> <laughs> like I didn't have any DUIs or anything. You can't go to Canada <laughs> if you have a DUI, apparently. I didn't have that. I just they just were like, it's too expensive. We can't have another person. And Red Bull, the company, was like. We'll give you wings if you need them. Like, let yeah. us know if you need anything. Yeah. We'll we'll sponsor you. Like, sure. I had a sponsor, corporate yeah. sponsor. Yeah. And Skrillex said yes. Yeah. And it still didn't happen. So I was like devastated. That is devastating. That is such yeah. bullshit. I had so many moments like that in my in my career. <laughs> it's very exciting just to be in the opportunity, but the opportunity didn't happen. Sort of thing. I've right. had a lot of that. Because when somebody like Skrillex is saying to you, like, I want you there and you're going to be there and I want to do this and I want you to be part of this experience. Like you're creating that that fantasy that you're going to go and manifest together. And so you're already there. But the businessmen. <laughs> the Precisely. Fucking... We couldn't work out. We couldn't negotiate it business wise. And it's like, oh, well. It happened yeah. again with, um, I went on a tour with Kill the Noise. Mm. That was really fun. But we yeah. got all the way up the West Coast and they're like, well, we're dropping you off. Here's a hotel room in Seattle. Yeah. We're going to Canada now. Bye. Oh my <laughs> God. It's so heartbreaking. So like, what do you do? What did you do in Seattle in a hotel room? Uh, I did acid. <laughs> <laughs> do you know Why? Why? Because they were going toward across the border, they had to get rid of all the drugs and all the fireworks. Okay. So we lit off the fireworks and they gave me all the drugs. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. So while you were tripping in the Seattle hotel room after these these dudes left you there, like do you remember like were there any lessons from that trip or yeah, I did a, I did like a whole 
like collage thing with all of my artwork that I had done uh-huh. during the tour, and I was like, I need to include more like document document more like my art in a rough way, like show huh. show the the objects that are around me and like do do photographs of things, not just like yeah. show the drawings. Yeah, I need to like document my process more. Uh huh. And so I took some time to like set up these little arrangements of things and like take photos of them with my sketchbooks in it. So it was like things from the tour, like yes. memorabilia and stuff that I had yes. with the sketchbooks. That was cool. That's really beautiful. It's it's like it's like self-love. You yeah. know? It's like like these dudes ditched you basically. And it could have been this lonely sad thing, but instead you you were tripping and then you were like no like document more of me like put me put more of me in there you know like work work me in there you know exactly i did a self portrait it was great um oh, sounds awesome i wasn't i was just happy to have done it just yeah. to go to the west coast like i was it's just huge. stoked jake from kill the noise is a genius because he got the idea from uh i guess Bob Dylan took Allen Ginsberg on tour with him one time <laughs> uh-huh. and just to like bring a poet on tour instead of like bringing a photographer. And he's like, I want to bring you on tour because you draw and like you're different than just a photographer. And right. I, I ended up doing video and photo yeah. and drawing, Yeah. but I did paintings too. And I oh, did a wow. lot of different documentation. What kind of paint did you use? A lot of neon paint. So acrylic? Yeah. Wow. Paint markers. Oh, and markers. Okay. Yeah. No. Okay. I wanted to show you this. I bought this like two days ago. Ooh. I bought, I never buy markers. Like the last time I bought markers was because like in kindergarten, they told me that I have to buy markers. Like, you know, the Crayola, like seven or 10, Mm -hmm. whatever. But this is like a lot. I got this at Target. Look how many markers there are. So many. Whoa. You actually have a great range there. So many colors. So I'm Sharpie is what I use and they only come in so many colors. That's true. They have their own brand colors basically. Yeah. Um, So even like the highlighted one, those are the highlighted Sharpies, like ones that you use in your notebook. Yeah. Okay. Dope. Yeah. Um, How long have you been like just kind of sketching people's faces and like, you know, documenting in that way with the markers? How long have you been doing that? Well, I mean, the roots of it were in high school because people would beg me to do their portraits and, um, and they knew I could draw, so I would do it just begrudgingly. Yeah. But I got really into it around 2015 when I started going to all these DJ parties. Yes. Because I was so socially awkward. That was like my way of like having something to do and also of, of documenting at the same time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, I made a lot of friends that way. Yes. I got to draw a lot of interesting people, like even like some people who are anonymous artists. I yeah. got to draw their portrait. And it was very exciting. Yeah. And then I got into like going to drag shows and things like that and drawing the performers. And then I started drawing comedians Yeah. as well. And yeah. I really enjoyed doing that. And so I miss stand up for yeah. that reason. Yeah. I love that. Uh, there's this uh, photographer in New York. Um, Mindy, I forget her fucking last name right now, but she's like the comedian photographer in New York. She's very expensive. (laughs) 
but like that's not how she started out like she started out as like fine art photographer like very classical like beautiful like like upscale like that kind of shit and she hated it so she started photographing only comics since like 26 2006 or whatever and that's she's the one now like that's what she's known for and i love that like that's another like category for you like drawing comedians portraits because like comics are such vulnerable people right like ah, like i was um do you know unseen contemporary the art gallery okay so there's this art gallery called unseen contemporary there are two locations it's in little ethiopia and last night i i had this experience like an open mic experience that i've never had in the united states before which is you go to open mic you sign up the first seven open micers get paid five dollars to do a seven minute set and they get a free beer have you heard of any what no like it's so it's all backwards it's all backwards and i was like is this some kind of performance art piece that you guys are like fucking with this like what's happening but before, uh, so I signed up, but before we we did the mic, like there was some like some time to kill and they had a pool table. So I started shooting pool by myself, but then like, you know, comics started trickling in and, and th- there were three comics there I, I that I know and the four of us started to play. And like, they were so like, like, you know, there were moments when they would be like shy and insecure. Like they felt like they were un- under a lot of pressure when they had to like, you know, take a shot. And like, they were like, so like fragile and sensitive and like that. And then, and then we go to do the mic and when they're on stage, they're nothing like that. Nothing like that. Fucking totally different person, confident, aggressive, mean, hilarious, you know? And I was like, man, I love comics, you know? So I love that you draw our portraits, like me and Mike Rose too. Like, I love that you, you drew us and like, <laughs> you were like making fun of me for holding my water bottle. <laughs> You're like, she's clutching onto that water bottle for dear life. And I was like, oh my God, like Van is seeing me right now because in all my photographs, when I was like a kid, like a little kid, like four, five, six, seven years old, like at the zoo or at the park, like all these photos my parents took of me, I'm always clutching onto a bag of chips or like a soda. Like I was such a little piggy, you know? And like after you like drew that portrait and you mentioned that, it was it stayed with me. And I was like, why do I always have something like with me, like a prop or something like I have to bring? And I was like, is it because I don't think I'm enough, you know? So like I don't like I was I was grateful to you for giving me that that little tap of an insight that got me into thinking about that. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I I like to think that I notice things and I I'm always looking. I'm always paying attention to things and yeah. even if I don't want to sometimes. Yeah. Uh, this is this is like the portrait of Baron Vaughn from my new sketchbook. Oh my god, it's amazing. It's one of the examples. This is a replica of my sketchbook. I made a series of books that are a full replica of a, of yes. a whole sketchbook. Yes, and you have an Etsy account where you're selling this, right? Yes. Yeah. It's on my Etsy, which is on my Instagram. Mm-hmm. Do you have any more comedians in here? I used to go to the Fish Tacos, Los Feliz. Uh-huh. Um, 
thing where yeah. they have the free comedy. Uh-huh. And I would draw every time I went there, and I really oh, I enjoy love it because you get you get up real close to the comics. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that you do that. Yeah. Comedians are good people, man. Like, I love comics. Whenever I meet new comics, I mean, not all of them, of course, right? Like, we all have our, we all have our soulmates, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I love meeting comics. I love them. Yeah. I'm, I'm so grateful that I'm a comic, you know? I've been thinking about comedy a lot lately. Yeah? In what way? Uh, like in a sacred way, like it's oh. really, really special. Mm -hmm. um, I had this vision yeah, and uh, it involved this idea of like judgment, like you're, you're, you're dying or you're like going to the next realm, right? Okay. And you're being judged by all these gods or entities or things, right? Yeah. And what do you do when you're being judged by them? Like, how do you win their favor? And I had this vision of just like getting sillier and sillier and sillier. <laughs> and the sillier I got, they were like cheering for me. They were so like all about it. Yeah. And just like, oh, he went there. He went there. He's yeah. going. He's he's going yeah. off. Like, but if I got serious, you just kind of like bury yourself from that. Yeah. Like, oh, I'll be virtuous. I'll be good. Like, like no, just be silly. They're like that's not that's not what it was about, man. Like you read the Bible wrong. You read the Quran incorrectly. You read all the Zen books incorrectly. We wanted you to have fun and be a dork, man. Be weird. Be out there. Be you know what I, your inner child, right? Do you know what I believe is what? that I think a lot of these books what happens they got translated uh -huh. and they lost their sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cuz it's hard to translate funny. Oh, beautiful point. Oh, that's so amazing. And I love that vision that you had. Because I think, I think it's on point. It's a remarkable vision. Um, Jack, Jackie Monahan and I was talking the other day um, on her on her podcast. She's a hilarious comic and writer, amazing writer. Um, but yeah, she was talking about like, how to hold the inner child um satisfied how to keep the inner child satisfied you know because the inner child is the original you the one without all the defenses of the ego and all the bullshit that is getting in the way of yourself um which is you know you're just always headed towards delight and joy and love and good stuff you know and she was like you know how do you keep it you know taken care of and like that's what you're talking about right now it's like that's what the gods want they want you to be the original you, the inner child, the weirdo, the the hilarious person, the the one the artist. Yeah. Unapologetic. Yeah. Unapologetic. Yeah. Truly. And it's difficult to be that way, um, because of businessmen. <laughs> But, you know, I don't know, maybe that's why, like, as we get older, right? You know, if you look at seniors, like very, very old people, they stop giving a shit. They literally shit their pants, you know, <laughs> right? They become infantile and it's like they're returning to their original child, you know, that being. And I think between that space, like when they go full dementia, like right, right, you know, right before that, 
there's this sort of like uh, threshold or there's this sort of like gap gap space. I think in that space, you know, maybe there is that inner delight, you know, where it's like, oh, this is familiar. Like, this is the original me. Like, this is the me that doesn't give a shit. No hangups, no pressures about family or whatnot. You know, it's like, I don't care. Like, I'll just... I'll just be me right now. I'll just listen to a record. I'll just watch TV, you know? Like, I like old people for that, I think, you know? A lot of them are funny and probably funnier than they used to be. They're hilarious. Yeah. They're hilarious. They, they're not trying to be funny. They just are, which is the most beautiful thing, right? Yeah. So pure. <laughs> the, cl the clown work has been amazing for that reason of talking about inner child like yes it's extremely challenging yeah and worthwhile yeah how long have you been training and clowning i'm gonna say three years wow okay and what's that exploration been like tell me about that journey well it started off i met a clown in the desert okay and it named decky oh. and decky was the first person to tell me hey you're a clown like, just pointed out. Saw you. Yeah. He had the full paint on. He just, like, pratfalled into my life. Like, yes. stole my heart away. Yes. He's, I still don't know what happened to him. <laughs> yes. He just appeared and disappeared kind of a person. Got it. It's probably better that way. Oh, yeah. Uh, Decky is great. Yeah. And starting with him, he kind of opened that door for me. Okay. And then... I pursued some more serious training with uh, Stephen Hayes, mm -hmm. who's a Cirque du Soleil mm -hmm. clown. Mm -hmm. And he held some very intense workshops mm. in LA before the pandemic. Yeah. And um, it was some of the best experiences I've had because I'm watching these other clowns perform and in this moment. Like, I'm, I'm having the greatest time in the audience. Right. And then when I have to get up and perform, I'm having the hardest time of my life like just expressing myself yeah just pure this pure expression it, mm -hmm. i'm so tight-knit i'm so uptight mm -hmm. that i just couldn't like get into the flow mm -hmm. but it was like it taught me that it taught me a lot about myself mm -hmm. and about how i've been trying to be normal for so long that i'm just like er, 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 like like making myself more and more tight-knit and like controlled right and you in clowning, you want to lose a little control. Oh, yeah. You don't know what you're going to say. Mm -mm. You don't know what you're going to do. Mm. It just comes out. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of scary when you're, like, trying to censor yourself and trying to, like, be, be, be like, very perfect. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's impossible to really m meld those two things, which you studied in college, business and art. <laughs> Such, a, like, a weird contradiction there. It's an amazing contradiction, you know, like if nothing else, you learned, you learned that thing so that you know that that's not what goes in there, <laughs> you know, got, the, got both sides of the brain. There is just a little bit of each perspective yeah. to work with. Yeah. And it's hard to be both at the same time. I could go to one side and like have that mind, but it's, it's hard. You can't do both at the same time. It's sort of like. You got to pick one in the moment to yeah. look at things from. Um, it's like the idea that you can't have this two thoughts at the same time. Yeah, an, I feel like I have, but yeah. maybe it's impossible. Everything can coexist. Yeah, simultaneously.
there are multiple realities happening at all times, right? So that's a good point, right? The realms, yeah. Back to the realms, yeah. But I just I admire clowns so much and mm-hmm. co- comedians in general. But I think clowns do some of the hardest work. They're, and yeah. over time, mm-hmm. I mean, I think great comedians are also clowns. Mm. Like they they have those qualities of of clowns. Like what? Of because clowns do use their use their body, mm-hmm. they use their imagination, their voice, yeah. and they use sound. Yeah, and if you and use all those things. A great comedian uses all those things. Oh. Um, just uses all their instruments and like kind of goes to what they goes to what they're good at, but tries to use all those things in, in together. Mm-hmm. While also trying to be present at the same time. Exactly. Being vulnerable. Yeah. Being real, like being able to respond in the moment and like having material is one thing, but then it's how you handle having no material for a moment. And I think that shows mm-hmm. the clown aspect. Which comes with inner trust. Yes. Sheer inner trust. And I've been there before. I know that I felt that flow before. And normally it was like in a party setting yeah. where um, where I would do, um, it's, I really started off before I took the classes, I would just dress up and I'd go to these underground parties. And there was one particular party called Ospenhof. Mm where I was like a favorite of the of the promoters and I get in for free every time because yeah. I would come in full costume and yeah. I'd stay for the entire party which was like hours and hours and hours it's very long it's like like it goes from like 7 until 4 a.m. yeah and I would help out like with little things I would like help here and there but I'm like a jester who comes and like helps out and like checks on people but like I'm also messing with people uh-huh and like kind of <laughs> Yeah. Going all the way around the party and like, like popping in on, and I would mess with the person doing the guest list, for example. <laughs> you better not lose that book. It looks like an important list. <laughs> Stuff like that. I love that. And I love that, you know, at the party, like at Sean's bonfire that I met you at, that you were wearing your, your crown hat, you know? Like, yes. And, and other comics were like, yeah, I mean, we know he's a clown, like immediately. He's wearing that hat. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. It's like a, like a unique jester's hat, you know. Funny hats, very classic. Yeah. Clown thing. So good. And you were in overalls, and I was like, fuck yeah, yeah. You know, like I, I, I remember, like you know, it was just like, oh hi, like, okay. And then you immediately sat down. And you just like started drawing. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, this guy, all right. You know, that was awesome. That was so good. Um, but, uh, okay. I, I wanted to, um, this is like a new thing. So you're my first podcast guest that I'm going to try this out with. Do you know this deck? Oh, it's an Oracle deck. Yeah. A minimalist Oracle deck. Minimalist Oracle deck. That's what I love about it. It's minimalist, you know, cause I don't like a lot of stuff. I like it nice and straightforward and clean. So, I'll just shuffle the, the cards until you tell me to stop and then we'll see we'll see what your card says. Cool, are you shuffling now? I am shuffling now. Alright. Just let me know when you're ready. Shuffle, 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 shuffle. I do shuffle, a little ASMR shuffle. near the mic. 
Man down. I mean, that could and be stop. Okay. Okay. You see it? What does it say? It says pause. pause. And that's the illustration. So there's a book. So we look up pause. Pause. Okay, so it, it has I am statements, okay? Pause means I am stopping to look for direction inside. And the keywords are brief stop, turning in, presence, contemplation. Does any of this resonate with you? It does. It also relates to clowning mm. as well. That's a big part of it yeah. and is slowing down. And reflecting in the moment, mm -hmm. seeing where you're at, um, not rushing into the next thing. Mm. And it reminds me of the podcast too, because you have to pause to yeah. let the other person talk. <laughs> yeah. You got to pause to listen. Yes. And let moments sink in so you could integrate, right? Or recalibrate. I was just in therapy right before I came in to talk to you. That's why I think recalibrate. She kept using the word recalibrate a lot. Because I was telling her how emotionally overwhelmed I was with the outpouring of support I was receiving. And how it brought up all these complicated emotions in me. And made me confront the fact that I have low sense of self-worth. And, you know, she was like, Get all this is good movement, so recalibrate. And I was like, okay. So it, it speaks to me as well, but I'm glad you got pause as your word. Yeah. It's a good one. Me too. Thank you. Yeah. So let me ask you some flashcard questions. Something I do with every yeah. guest. Well, comedic guests, usually. They give the best answers. So there's a, a Korean drama called Miss Korea. Came out, I mm -hmm. think, in 2013. And it's, it's a very... Um, underappreciated drama um i don't think it was like very popular when it came out but um and this is my first time seeing it i i didn't even like know about it and then a friend of mine recommended it to me because his mother was a miss korea pageant person like back in the day in korea so i watched it and i love this show so much like it has so much heart in it and I'm like all about this show now. So let me ask you some questions based on like scenarios from the show. And you just answer like what you would do if you were in this person's shoes. Sound good? Yeah. All right. Dope. Okay. So it's the year 1997. And you're a 24-year-old woman named Chi Young who works as an elevator girl at a shopping center. So you have to stand for long hours at a time pushing buttons greeting every single person who comes on board and you're wearing heels, a hat, a tight fitting uniform. You don't get bathroom breaks. You don't get lunch breaks. And there are cameras in the elevator that monitor you at all times. And they're very strict about how you, you know, carry yourself and how you behave while you're on, you know, while you're working your post and you, you know how hungry you get during these shifts. So you sneak in a hard boiled egg <laughs> And you carefully peel it and eat it whole while hiding from the cameras. After you finish eating, your manager steps onto the elevator. 
and he sniffs the air and then asks you if you farted and you deny it but he insists that you farted and tells you to fart in your own damn room during your own time what do you do oh my god <laughs> i'm so shocked by that <laughs> I I think I would fall speechless. I would just be like, <laughs> "Jeez!" I have this friend who, like, every time someone brings eggs to lunch for work or something, he's like, "You like eggs, huh?" It's like, you know what that means? <laughs> it means you like farts. <laughs> That's all I can think about right now. <laughs> it's a good answer. <laughs> I'm satisfied with that answer. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, if someone said that to me, I would just I would be just shock and awe. I just couldn't <laughs> believe couldn't believe what I heard. <laughs> a jaw drop kind of moment. Yeah, I guess it is a crazy thing to say, you know, to your subordinate as a boss. <laughs> I had a boss one time say, All you do is shit and eat. <laughs> But you, where's the lie? Respond? It's true. Like, we all do it. Yeah, <laughs> all the time. We all do. Including him, who's accusing you of this. It's natural. <laughs> what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> <laughs> I promise I'll never shit or eat again. <laughs> yes. Holy moly. Wow. Bosses are that crazy. That sounds like what that, uh, what that elevator girl is dealing with, too. Is that, that's unnatural. Yeah. Not having to be no bathroom, can't eat, yeah. can't do anything. Yeah, all you never eat, never shit, never fart. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. I love that. Okay, all right. So you're still the same chick. You're Chiyoung, but back in high school, you were the most coveted girl in town, the hottest bitch. All the dudes in this in this town loved you, wanted to go out with you. Okay, there was an older boy named Hyungjun who had a crush on you and you liked him too but after he went to the best college in seoul he stopped speaking to you and you're an adult now working as an elevator girl and one day he gets on the elevator after not being in touch with you for like eight years and he says to you he wants to turn you into a miss korea contestant what do you do wow young june I think I'd be flattered. I think I'd be like, get me out of this job immediately. Yeah. I was like, are you serious? Young June, are you serious? You're not pulling my leg right now, are you? I'm done with this job. I was going to quit today. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. All on board. Okay, great. And the past is the past, so it don't matter, right? You forgive him. Doesn't matter. Okay, cool. All right, you're still the same chick now. All right, you're too young again. You meet a woman in her 50s. Her name is Ma Eri, and she's a hairstylist and a former Miss Korea pageant winner who was who successfully crowned many subsequent Miss Koreas later, later in her life. And she owns her own high-end beauty salon. And she tells you 
that she will guarantee a Miss Korea crown on your head. But one thing is missing. She tells you that your breasts are too small for the swimsuit competition and that you will have to undergo breast enhancement surgery. And you're not comfortable with this, but there's a lot riding on this crown right now because you just got fired from your job, you lost your pension, and you have to support your family of grandfather, father, uncle, and older brother. Plus, it's the year 1997, and South Korea just declared national bankruptcy due to the Asian financial crisis, and everybody, everybody in the country is in an economically precarious situation. What do you do? I, I think about who's going to pay for the breast augmentation <laughs> surgery. It sounds like that's the option. Yeah. Sounds like that's the way to go. Okay. So, so that you, can be reversed, right? I think so. Yeah, they can be. They can be. Yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, hard times are pushing me to do things I wouldn't normally do, mm. but I'm so close to this crown. Mm -hmm. So close. Got to make sacrifices. Yeah. Okay. Got to got to go for it. Hmm. All right. Yeah. So you just do it for the Miss Korea thing and then maybe get him removed later. Yeah. All right. Dope. Very practical answer there. Very good. Okay. So you're about, you're still Chiyoung, okay? You're in the Miss Korea regional competition, and you're about to go up on stage for the swimsuit segment of the show. But these other bitches, who are very jealous of you, they take your swimsuit, they take the top, and they destroy the chicken cutlets that were supposed to give you a boost. They just rip it all up. What do you do? That's that's that is fighting words. Like that's not even words. That's fighting action. <laughs> they ripped my chicken cutlets. Yeah. I don't want to be like a snitch, but they got to see. They need to see some consequences. Mm -hmm. I might catch these hands, honestly, <laughs> first. Yeah. Not having it. Yeah. That is, that is violating. Yeah. Oh yeah. It just cornered you. You grabbed your titty things and ripped them up. You gotta stand up for yourself in that situation. That's like not. That's not okay. Mm -mm. You can't just be like, I'm telling. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. I think anybody would respect you more if you if you fought back a little bit in that situation. Yes, I agree. I, I assume it's all on camera too. So yeah, like everyone's gonna see this happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also, you know, your own self-respect, right? It's like, fuck those bitches. Disrespectful. <laughs> so disrespectful. So rude. So mean. But I hear it's like that. <laughs> I heard it's like that with, like, all of those, like, pageant like this. I hear even, like, drag queens will sometimes fucking sabotage one another. <laughs> I can see it. It's, it's too bad because, like, the actual scene isn't like that, but the shows are. It's something about... Reality television does things to people. Yeah. So manipulative. Yeah. They call it reality, and yet it's like, you're not really being your real you. You're being a hysterical part of you that you wouldn't have been normally if you were not on TV. Yeah, like the director is like giving little like hints to people like, make them cry. Make them cry now. Make them cry. <laughs> yeah. Trigger them. Say the worst thing about their mother right now. Yeah, that's not reality, or it shouldn't be. That would be terrible. 
<laughs> Remember that secret she told you last night? Use it against her right now. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. It is like that. Yeah, it's a fucked up world out there. All right. All right. Um, okay. I have three more questions. Are we good? Are we good to continue? Yeah. All right. Dope, dope. I'm loving your answers. Okay. So you're still Ji Young, and that guy, Hyung Jun, who dumped you, right? He um, is now your pageant sponsor, and he's also your coach now. And he asks you to meet with his former friend named Yoon, who has a lot more money than he does. Um, and Yoon is supposed to give Hyung Jun a business loan, okay? So he asks you to go meet with Yoon because Yoon wants to meet you, a pretty girl. During your meeting with Yoon, Yoon tells you to sleep with him or he won't support Hyung Jun financially. What do you do? Oh, snap. Yeah. Well, I know that in that situation, it should be like a flat no. Mm. It's like, that's not right. Mm -hmm. But maybe that's what she would do. But if it was me, I would just sleep with them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it's, 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 and, and I get the money? Great. It's money and sex? Then. Fucking awesome. Oh. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. okay it's great. hard because it's like, what would I do versus what this character might do? Right. So it's like, okay. Well, it's like you. It's you, essentially, as that character. Yeah. It's my spirit in the character. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> do it here? that's all. That's all. <laughs> okay. That's all you wanted? All right, no problem. <laughs> as long as I can fart. <laughs> and eat hard-boiled eggs after. Yes. <laughs> like immediately after sex. Oh. Order some hard-boiled eggs, room service. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So, so you're Hyungjun now, okay? You're the guy. Okay. You and your cosmetics team developed a new skincare product called a BB cream. It's a tinted cream that also has SPF, and it makes women's skin appear smooth without looking all heavy with makeup. So it's not like heavy like foundation. It's like light like a cream, but it's got a little bit of tint. But a much larger company than yours scoops the product and you're left with nothing except debt to loan sharks. And all these loan sharks are trying to kill you. What do you do? I feel like I've been there before. Let's see. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is being exploited by, by people with more money than me. Yeah. Um, what I do? Well, if I do what I did before, I just get really mad and not really make, take any action at all. <laughs> <laughs> and then like be mad about it for years and years and years. <laughs> just like i don't know what do you do when that happens like you got you either make you either make a big stink about it or you don't do anything mm. and sometimes making a big stink is like looks bad it depending on the situation yes mm -hmm. if i want to if i would try to work for that company one day i don't want to like smear them kind of thing right i'd be much i'd be in a good position to maybe work for them if they took my product right right and then i could still be mad about it but I at least get paid if mm. I if I got a job there. So I'm gonna be tactful and not not do a smear campaign against them. Yeah. The business part of your schooling is really voicing itself here. Good. <laughs> Don't burn bridges. Yes. But it's also a Zen part, so it's also the art artist in you too. You know, 
I was like, what's the point? Just get yourself all riled up. I don't like, you know, I, I understand defending yourself in a fight sort of thing when there's like options you have. Yeah. But when you know when they have all the, all the power and all the money and you have so little, mm-hmm. it's not like the chicken cutlets where you're both on stage and you're both like fighting. Yeah. It's like you're up against some powerful juggernaut and like you have to really play your cards right with that yeah. situation. Yeah. I think that's wise. I like that. Although there have been like Davids and Goliaths where the little guy won. Oh, yeah. It's very unlikely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See it that way. When I was watching that Nexium documentary, my favorite was that one lesbian lady. Like there was like this butch lesbian woman who like was totally like at the bottom and she was totally exploited the most. But she like continuously stayed with the lawsuits and then she eventually won. And I was just like, I love her. Like she's my cool. girl. Yeah. See, I admire that so much, but I've never been able to achieve it myself. Yeah. Actually, one thing that did happen was the company um, didn't pay me mm. and didn't pay me for a long time. And I was just mad about it, but I didn't do anything. Sure. Like, I didn't take them to court because I was like, I want to keep working for them or right. I want to put it in my portfolio. Yeah. I don't want to like burn bridges. Right. And eventually in the mail, I got a big fat copy of the lawsuit against this company. Wow. And I think I'm going to get paid. Oh, so I was just all I did was wait, yeah, and, and it just landed in my lap. And somebody else so, took action, and it's like this company—you weren't the only victim. Like they had done it to other people, and this collective action included you. Exactly. So instead of me trying to take in the small claims court, it got a much much stronger like legal thing going on wow. with this because they owed a lot more money than that. Wow. So I love it that. Out. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, like I'm more like. I'm more on the uh, aggressive edge. <laughs> you know, I'm like a city girl. I grew up in New York, you know. <laughs> I'll talk back. Um, but sometimes there's wisdom to just waiting and not reacting. And it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Not to say I wasn't assertive about my emails to them. Like, <laughs> hey, this is late. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. I it's did so take frustrating. action on that, yeah. but I didn't take them to court. Yeah. yeah. That's the lot of the freelancer's life, right? It's like emails, follow-up emails for invoices. Oh, shit. Yeah, it's the worst. Okay, but I love that answer. Okay, final question. So you're a Hyungjun again. You're the dude. And you find yourself falling back in love with Chiyoung. Okay. And she confronts you about it angrily. She says, how dare you start liking me again? You have no money, no vision, and you're going to live your whole life in debt. What do you do? What do I do? I feel like I want to convince her like that there's more important things than, than me being in debt. Mm. It's like, I don't know how I would show it though. <laughs> I think she'd be very, very vulnerable. And, you know, she has a right to feel that way. She, she does. Mm. Like, I, I totally see where she's coming from. Yeah. And the fact that I dumped her before, back in the past, too, she might have still be mad about that. Mm-hmm. So I, I sort of was, like, prepared for that, in a way. Mm. Just kind of prepared for her to, like, have a bad reaction. But I'm, I'm going to be persistent, but not, like, in a creepy way, but, like, you know, make sure she knows I'm there for her and keep 
I guess it's kind of mixed up because that she, I used to be her coach and stuff, but now I can't offer her anything. Yeah. So she she can decide if she wants to maintain a relationship or not. Yeah. Because I I can't offer her work or anything that that would like make her feel obligated to me, and that's not right anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like. I just have to be honest mm-hmm. to tell her how I feel and that's all I can do. Mm-hmm. It's kind of might not work out, but yeah, it's an honest thing. Be honest and then wait. Yeah. Very nice. I love that answer. That wraps up our flashcard series. Anything you want to plug? Let's see here. Well, I'd like to um, give some credit to my mentor whose name I forgot earlier. Yeah. Uh, his name is Gordon Clark. Gordon Clark. He's a badass. It's a badass name. You... Yeah, he's the shit. I mean, honestly, do watch his films okay. and like check out his work. It's really phenomenal. I will. I will. He's from South Africa. Gordon Clark. He's a tough dude. Mm. He's very cool. Thank you, Van. Thank you for your mm-hmm. time today and all your wisdom and insights. Thank you, Grace. I appreciate you. <laughs>